This is, thanks guys for jumping up. Do you want to? I can start my... Was well, as, as the p- plates are going by, let me ask, ask a question. Why do we work so hard to try to stay young? Have you thought about that? I've been thinking about that lately. We've just come through another Olympic season, uh, an interesting one where we had uh, summer and winter Olympics, like really close together. And one thing I noticed, especially there were a few evenings where we sat down with the kids and, and pulled up to see Olympics on the screen, and, and they talked about these old veteran Olympians that, you know, this is the last one. They've, they've put in their time. They've put in, you know, their bodies are letting go, and then they post their ages. And it's like 31, 32, 37. And then there's the, the winners, right? Like, I don't know. I've, I've loosely followed the Olympics for a few years, but it seems like the winners keep getting younger, right? We've got these, like, not even late teenage phenoms, like 16, 17-year-old. It's crazy. We work so hard to try to stay young. And our, our culture, our Western culture is unique, and maybe not in a good way unique, in that we seem to not prize age. In many other cultures and places in the world, age is seen as a sign of wisdom. You know, if you, if you make it, maybe, maybe that's what it is, if you, if you make it through life this far, then you've got something to offer the next generation that comes up. And yet, we kind of go the opposite way, right? Let's have the, the last generation kind of get out of the way so I can do my thing and make my mark on society. Right? We, we work hard to ignore aging and even marginalize our aging and aged. Think about most movies, magazine covers, advertisements. They all point us to wanting to stay young, look young, feel young. There's a multi-billion dollar industry that provides everything from the next latest diet fad to uh, lotions and creams to Botox and plastic surgery, all for the goal of what? Looking, staying young. In recent months and years, it, it has been exposed, and some companies have done a good job of kind of turning the page past this, but it's been exposed just how much Photoshop work goes into the covers of our magazines. We're going to enhance this a little bit here. We're going to hide this a little bit there. All the while trying to pass it off as real. We try to ignore aging through medicine and pharmaceuticals and even workouts. I've uh, got a bigger birthday sneaking up on me this year, and, and I thought I was prepared for it, but as it looms, I'm not so sure. And I do promise not to kind of use this time as like therapy to try to work out this. But these days, I'll, I'll, I'll head out for a ski or I'll head out for a ride soon. I'll, you know, I'll lift some weights and, and I need to remind myself, listen, Sean, you're not 25 anymore. You can't keep up with them anymore. You, you, your body doesn't bounce back like it should or could or used to. When we're young, we so often just ignore aging, don't we? That's, I'll deal with that later, maybe. We've got forever in front of us. So why ask these kinds of questions? 
Just this week, I had a conversation with someone who went something like, you know, when I was young, I looked up at my parents and thought, they were 27 when they had kids. That's so old. And she said, but now I'm 40. What do, what do, I, what do I do with that? Embrace it. I like that. Let's change that in my notes here. Why do we fear aging? Why do, we, why do we try to ignore it? Have you ever thought about that question? Have you asked yourself that question? And I think there's a few reasons, and it will tie into our last section of Ecclesiastes here. Let's see if any of these resonate with you. Uh, first, I think we try to ignore aging because we don't want to miss out on something. There's so much to do, and if we're forever young, uh, I've got a song ranked in the back of my head there, forever young, then we've got all the time we need. We can do all the things, experience all the things. We see the vastness of the world around us, which has only exploded through media and now social media too. And we think, well, I got to experience everything. I got to go all these places. I got to swim on all these beaches. I got to fly over all these mountains. I got to do all the things so I cannot age. But maybe the primary reason is that we're just scared of death. And man, I think, we, I think we saw that creep up and out of our society over the last couple of years, didn't we? All of a sudden, our, our foundation's shaken a little bit, and we're going to do whatever we can to avoid death. See, death scares us because it reminds us that we've only got one life, and that time is ticking. But if we avoid thinking about it, then maybe we can just get through life and enjoy everything without that sort of dark cloud looming over us. One writer said this, and I think he's right. He said that we prize youth because we fear the fleeting nature of life and the finality of death. We prize youth because we're afraid. Now throughout much of our journey through this book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 11 and 12, so if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up there. We've been told by Solomon, the teacher, that life is fleeting, and it's actually vain. It's, it's, it's vanity because death looms on the horizon, and it's coming for us all. And death will render everything under the sun. If all there is is what we see under the sun, then death will render all of that meaningless, a chasing after the wind. But in this last section, Solomon wraps up the book and answers really one of the most important questions that I think we all need to continue to wrestle with and answer in our lives. And it's this. How can I have joy or meaning or purpose or fulfillment in the face of aging and death? Rather than avoid it, how can I still have joy? What's the point to all of this? Is the question. Is there any way to, to not be overcome by the dark cloud of the finality of death? And spoiler alert, the answer is yes, there is a way. And Solomon gives us the answer to that question in kind of three parts as he walks through this last chapter in a bit. The first is this. He encourages us to enjoy life as God intended. The prospect of our life on earth running out, our time on earth running out, can be a heavy burden, but it can also spur us to action. It can challenge us to make every meaning, every moment meaningful. Chapter 11, verse 7, he says, The light is sweet, and it's pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. 
maybe it's just me, but have you noticed these last few weeks just how life-giving it is to have more sun? The light is a beautiful thing, and these signs of spring that are showing up, that people are outside more. There's some really ambitious plants that think spring is coming, and so they're trying to grow. There's birds in the air. I've noticed that the last few days walking the kids to school, that there's, there's music in the trees again, and it's beautiful. It's life-giving. And I think this is a bit of what Solomon's talking about. Life under the sun can, in fact, be sweet. And he's made this point kind of both ways through this book. That life under the sun, if this is all there is, again, if this is all there is under the sun, then life can be dull and meaningless and vain and futile and all those words that we've tied into here. Or life can be a joy. And the difference is how we view our days. So if we remember that our days are fleeting and we want to then live our life to the full to enjoy life, to live wisely. We need to do that as God intended. And so contemplating death actually can be a means of enjoying life. When we remember that our days are are numbered, we can, again, look to time as a precious commodity and use it. There's more than a few days where I've, I've sat and looked at a calendar or looked at past photo books that we've got or whatever and said, how am I this old? Like, where's the time gone? How, how am I supposed to be this responsible, right? Like, where did that youth go? And if I just look back and say, man, what happened? That can be really detrimental. It's a precious commodity that we want to care for and steward well. Sometimes when we're young and we don't, you know, consider death, we were invincible up to a certain age, I think, right? We, we find ourselves doing things that could actually cut our days short because we don't think they might actually cut our days short. Then with a few years behind you, you can look back and say, man, when, when we went and did this, that was really dumb. We're lucky to have survived that. I know that there's a couple of things that I had on my kind of to-do list or this might be fun to try list when I was younger that I look at my life now and, and age and stage and all the things and I'm like, you know what? That risk, it's just not worth it anymore. When we get to the new heaven and new earth where death is not a thing, then I'll try that. And the consequences aren't quite as great, right? But it's not worth the risk now. I've got a bit of, hopefully, wisdom. He continues in verse 9 and and actually commands us not to postpone enjoyment to a future time. Look at that, verse 9. Rejoice, young person, while you're young. and Let your heart be glad in the days of your youth. We've talked about this a few times in this book where the the challenge is not to wish away the current season. So often we, we do this. We say, you know, when, I, when I'm finally old enough to have my own car and I don't need my parents to drive me anywhere, man, that's going to be living. Those will be the good days. And you get there and it's like, well, maybe when I finish school, maybe when I move out, maybe when I get married, maybe when I have a family, maybe when the kids finally leave, maybe when I retire, then it's the good life. And we just wish our life away looking for that next thing, right? And Solomon says, don't do that. Enjoy this moment because it is a gift from God. One of the lovely things about country music, there's a couple, is that it's great for its storytelling. In Kenny Chesney's song, Don't Blink, he tells the story of, of, or sings the story of seeing an old man in his hundreds being interviewed, and the question was, hey, what's your advice? How did you get this far? And he says, don't blink, because life goes by so fast. And as all good country songs, 
say, he says, you know, if you blink before you know it, you'll go from grade school to meeting your high school sweetheart, because it's country music, to marrying your high school sweetheart, because it's country music and that's how it works, <laughs> to getting married, to having babies, to having them grow up and moving out, to your wife's funeral, to now being 100 and looking back. And it just goes by in an instant. Trace Adkins, in his song, You're Gonna Miss This, talks about a mom who's driving her teenage daughter to school, and it's kind of sung from the daughter's perspective where she laments, you know, when I'm old enough to take care of myself, mom, it's gonna be amazing. I won't need you to drive me. I'll be able to do all the things. And the mom says, slow down. You're gonna miss this. The song jumps ahead where the girl's, you know, a newlywed in a small apartment, and she's thinking, and if I just had that bigger house down the street, and that would be great. And it jumps ahead again to the chaos of a young family where, where this now grown mother has uh, you know, a plumber come to the house or something, and the house is chaos because there's kids everywhere, there's toys everywhere, there's probably dishes, all the things, right? And she apologizes and says, no, I'm sorry for the chaos. Thanks for kind of stepping through the Lego to get there or whatever it was. And he says, no, no, don't apologize for that. One day you're going to miss this stage. The songs encourage us. I don't know if they pulled from Ecclesiastes necessarily. But they encourage us to slow down and enjoy each day for the gift that it is because every day is a gift. Rejoice while you're young. Let your heart be glad in the days of your youth. And it continues. And walk in the ways of your heart and the desires of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Solomon says, enjoy youth. Take, take advantage of the prime years. There's some things that you will not be able to do when you're a little bit older. Seize the day. But keep in mind that one day God's going to ask, hey, how'd you spend your days? Now we often see a word like judgment and hear a word like judgment and, and think of it as a bad thing. And lots of people reject Christianity because of this concept of judgment and, well, who's, who's God to judge and how could there be truth and I'm just going to do my thing and whatever else. It can have a real negative connotation. Judgment can. But I want us to try to think about it differently. Solomon and much of the Bible tells us that life is a great gift from God. And this idea that we will have to give an account for our time spent on earth, it isn't meant to just be like a threat of punishment when we mess up. But rather, it's, it's, it's a bit of an accountability measure to keep us... Uh, you know, Enjoy, actually enjoying our life. This, this idea that one day we're going to have to actually think about how we spent our days and answer for how we spent our days, it it's points us that there is a way to enjoy life. And God has put that in front of us. And this is the brilliant thing. God just hasn't like made a plan for our, our best life and then hidden it somewhere and we have to search and dig and, and strive and find and hope we get something. But God has, has created a life that we can flourish, a way of living that we can flourish, have an abundant life, a meaningful life, and he's given it to us. And so enjoy life as God has designed it. Solomon's talked about this a ton through here. The Bible talks about this a ton. And what that means is you and I, we don't get to decide for ourselves how we deal with or do things like marriage, food, drink, Sex, family, work, relationships. These are all, every one of those things are good gifts from God who he has put together and given us and also given us instructions on how to use those things. What they're for. And we enjoy those gifts in the way that he wants us to. That's how we seize the day. 
And so verse 10, we remove sorrow from your heart. He's saying, even though you're maybe not considering yourself the young person anymore, don't idolize the, your youth in that you dread its loss. And also put away pain, or your translation might say, put away evil or put away sin from your flesh. The thing is, when we decide to do these things our own way, when we decide to make our own minds up about relationships and marriage and sex and money and food and all the gifts, when we go our own way and use them in ways God never intended us to, it leads to brokenness and pain in our lives. He says, put that away. So how do we find joy in the midst of aging? We live life as God intended. Now that, that brokenness and that pain that every, every single one of us has in our lives from trying to go our own way and those, those wounds and those scars that are there maybe still open in our lives, that's not the end. We're not condemned. We need to, we are called to repent and turn back to God. And that's where Solomon goes next. He says to turn to God before aging robs you. And these next seven verses, chapter 12, one through seven, really is one big section that boils down to one point. Turn to God today. Don't wait. Let me read these verses for us. It is one kind of extended poem. Solomon writes, So remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of adversity come. Before the years approach, and you'll say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light are darkened, and the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain. And on the day when the guardians of the house tremble, and the strong men stoop, the women, grind, the women who grind grain cease because they are few, and the ones who watch through the windows see dimly. The doors on the street are shut, the sound of the mill fades. When one rises at the sound of a bird, and the daughters of song grow faint. And also they're afraid of the heights and dangers of the road. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper loses its spring. The caperberry has no effect. For the mere mortal is headed to his eternal home. And mourners will walk around in the street. And before the silver cord is snapped, and the gold bowl is broken, and the jar is shattered at the spring, and the wheel is broken into the well. And the dust returns to earth as it once was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. This is not a Valentine's Day poem. This is not happy words. It's actually one giant long sentence purposefully written that the reader would run out of breath before they get to the end. It's written that the, the weight of impending death would like crush the reader and crush the hearer, not for the purpose of crushing them, but to drive them to God today, right now. It's a reminder to trust God. That's how it started. Remember your creator. This is not just give some mental assent to, oh yeah, when I was in Sunday school 30 years ago, somebody said this about a creator. Okay, I'll remember that and carry on with living. It's so much more than that. It's, it's trusting the creator. 
It's obeying the creator. It's returning to the creator. It's turning your life to the creator. It's walking with him. It's turning every piece of your life over to the creator and the abundant life that he has promised. The warning is that, as one writer said, our dumb decisions have consequences. And those consequences can last for months and years and and decades. So turn to God now. The language here is also apocalyptic in that it's, it's similar language that we might read about the end of the world. And again, that's exactly the point. He's talked about life under the sun. If, if our whole world is just what we see in this, these however many years we have, then this death is the end of the world. And the point is that my world is going to end someday. One day, every single one of us will die. So turn to God today because you don't know how much time you have left. The before statements really drive this home. Before the days of death come, before the lights go out. Again, this is a poem, so it's metaphor, so we don't know exactly what Solomon was saying, but you know, maybe before your eyes start to go dim, before your memory starts to go, before dementia sets in, before you realize your, your body doesn't bounce back like it did before. Three to four, verses three to four point to, uh, you know, aging people, their hands tremble. You can't hold your hands still anymore. You know, the, the strong start to hunch because their muscles just don't hold their backs up anymore. Eyesight dims, hearing fades. The last one before, the silver cord is snapped and the gold bowl is broken, the jar is shattered in the spring uh, and the wheel is broken at the well. These are all drawing water out of the well images. And so the picture here for us is that the pieces we need to to get life-sustaining water are broken and unusable and death has arrived. And the outcome is that we die and our bodies return to the dust while our breath returns to God. Now remember, this isn't a comment on heaven or the afterlife. This is about life departing this world, life under the sun. This is the reality of a world that is broken. This is the reality of that Genesis 3 curse that since we've sinned against God, we will surely die. And for 12 chapters now, Solomon has been telling us again and again, we live in a broken world. We live in a a crooked world. We live in a cursed world where death is inevitable because of humanity's sinful choices. And this is meant to be a heavy, painful, depressing, heart-wrenching section of the Bible so that it will stir us to action. To live with joy in the midst of aging Remember God now. And that leads us into the conclusion. The teacher gives us his final assessment, which is exactly the same as how he opened the book. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is futile. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Everything under the sun is futile, fleeting, meaningless, absurd, all tied into that one word there. The conclusion of the book helps us understand that uh, the writer's purpose behind exposing the meaninglessness of this life. Solomon wanted us to realize that, that God imposed a curse on this world to show us just how meaningless, how, how vain it is, how futile it is for us to chase after our own devices and instead to drive us to him. And when we take into account the whole scope of the Bible, right? this is not just separate books, but we can look at the whole scripture. The goal of scripture is to make us wise enough to trust Jesus. 
as our survivor, our sage, the one who will give us meaning. Paul would later write in 2 Timothy, you have known and you've read the scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation, to find meaning, to find identity in faith in Jesus Christ. So when we see death and pain and brokenness and suffering, which we see every single day, don't we? It's meant to stir up in us the notion that there must be something more than just this, than what we can see. There must be something better out there. It's this, this eternity in our hearts that he, the teacher talked about back in chapter three, that there's, there's gotta be a better way. There's more than the, the vanity, the meaninglessness of this life. As we wrap the book up, one writer encourages us that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes to shepherd the reader with words that are pleasing and true and convincing, convicting and wise. Look at verse nine and 10. The teacher was a wise man. He constantly gave people knowledge. He, he weighed, explored, arranged many proverbs, and he's gathered things together here. His words, these words of this book, including that really heavy passage that we've just read through, they're meant to be like goads, like spiked sticks that, that prod cattle. We're all cattle, thank you, Solomon. Down the right path to where we're supposed to be. That's the intention of the author all along. He gives us this wisdom to point us towards a Messiah and he highlights for us the meaninglessness of life without God to drive us to remember your creator. And then in the last couple of verses, look at verse 12 and following, the teacher turns his attention to his son, pleading with his son to beware of going beyond his words. Listen, he says, son, be warned. There's no end to the making of many books and much study just wearies the body. He's trying to, to train his own son and sons and daughters after that in wisdom so that we can establish the kingdom. And he, he tells us not to attempt this investigation on life as though the son could go ahead and find something that Solomon didn't. He's saying, I looked everywhere. I did all the things and they all left me battered, broken, and hurting. He says, what you've read in these words are sufficient. This is the sum total of the matter. He says, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands. And this is for all humanity. That's the bottom line. Solomon knows the temptation to try anything and everything that's apart from God. He's talked in this book about pursuing wealth and education and women, and pleasure, and success, and development, and building projects, and all the things. And he said, when all is said and done, the only thing that can satisfy your heart is God. Remember your creator. And verse 14, for God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. This book has longed for judgment, for justice, hasn't it? And that's where we end that God will set things right. I hope as we've tracked through this morning and through this text, we've all seen that we've all messed up. We're all broken. Every one of us has, has, has wounds and has, has gone our own way. We've tried to experience things other than God in an effort to find meaning. Every one of us has failed this week. If you're tracking through that reading plan, the five-day reading plan, we were delighted to read Psalm 14, which is, has the encouraging words of, Nobody is righteous. No, not one. Everybody has failed. What a great way to start the day. Thank you for that. And that's the bad news, that we do have judgment to look forward to. But the good news is that there's one who is greater than Solomon that's come on the scene, and that's Jesus. 
He is the perfect wisdom of God. Jesus didn't come and just teach wisdom and then fail to live up to the wisdom he taught like Solomon did. Solomon, the wisest king who should have known how to follow God and yet went after all these things. But Jesus perfectly lived out the wisdom of God. And yet the one who perfectly lived out the wisdom of God, the one who perfectly remembered his creator, took the judgment for all of my foolishness and your foolishness to the cross. He experienced everything that we should have as as the consequences of our own actions. And he took our curse. And he took our death. And he took three dark days in the grave, unable to see or hear or walk in the grave. But he did not decay into dust like the poem says the end is, did he? Instead, he walked away from death. Fear God, obey his commands. As we head into the Easter season, coming out of this text and heading into Easter, I'm reminded of what Yaroslav Pelikan said. He said, if Christ is risen, then nothing else matters. Because it's all about him. And if Christ is not risen, then Solomon is right, and nothing else matters. Life for us is meaningful because Christ reconciles us to the creator of life, and he gives us the ability to be wise. And so now, in Christ we can be satisfied through or in God alone, rather than loving his gifts more than we love him. That's always the temptation, isn't it? To go after the gifts. And now we can experience true joy and true meaning. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this text. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it uh, maybe rubs us the wrong way. It's not all happy. It's not all good. But thank you that we come to the conclusion to the man, if we want life, remember the creator, follow his ways, obey what he's got for us. Jesus, thank you for your life. Thank you for modeling how to remember the creator, to obey his commands. Thank you for your death on the cross that took the punishment for my foolishness, for my lack of wisdom, for my going my own way, for my elevating the gifts above the giver. Thank you for the freedom that comes because you were raised from the dead and now I can be adopted into the kingdom, into the family of God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.